Hey there, it's Chris Hartwig from Painless Networking, and welcome to the Painless Podcast. You may love networking, you may despise it, but you know you've got to do it. So how about this suggestion? Check out our all-new website, painless.network. Get your free profile set up, then directly connect with other members to painlessly solve your problems, post, share jobs, hire someone, find an intern, connect with someone on a project as a partner, or you need a vendor. They're all on there. We're already up over 300 folks in a short period of time than connecting. And uh, the other thing that's up there that you've got to check out is the events area. We've got our next event for the holiday is December 6th, coming up fast, Wednesday evening, December 6th at 5.30 p.m. Join us, uh, and thanks to the folks at Happy Camper, a fun pizza joint on North Wells. And the uh, tickets are free. Now, we ask for a $10 donation or more if you're feeling real generous. That'll all go to Children's Home and Aid Society and the great holiday gift program that they've got for less fortunate kids in the Chicago area. So check all that out and see you on Wednesday evening, December 6th for sure. All right. Uh, one other thing to be thankful for is the guys who just helped redesign and did all the heavy lifting on Painless.network, the guys at Monroe Star, Dave and Vinay. Vinay is a frequent Painless event attendee. You've probably met him there. Great guys. They do great work. Head on over to monroestar.com, M-O-N-R-O-E-S-T-A-R.com, and see some of the other work that they've done. Give you a good price and give you some great work. So check those guys out. Thanks again to Dave and Vinay. Well, let's uh, get going on the Painless podcast. Today's guest, Justin Breen. And uh, you might know Justin from his time editing, uh, writing and editing at the DNA Info site for Chicago. Knows Chicago inside and out, has a long uh, journalism career, and uh, talks about that and how he's transformed now. Uh, we recently went on his own and creating his communications and PR firm, taking a little bit of a different approach to media relations. It's been pretty, pretty successful already in the short run. Uh, we also talk about disbanding the uh, DNA Info whole group that happened uh, a month or so ago, and uh, it's an interesting conversation as well. So let's just dive into all that. Uh, If you don't stick around for the end, just say have a fantastic and enjoyable Thanksgiving. We'll talk to you again soon and hopefully see you on December 6th. Let's get rolling with our visit with Justin Breen. Welcome to the Painless Podcast today with Justin Breen. He's the founder and CEO of Brepic Communications. Spent a lot of time um, also on the journalist side, DNA Info, and some other stuff that we're going to get into today as well. So lots of good stuff to talk about from, uh, I'll call him a communications and connecting expert. So let's turn it over to, uh, well, welcome, first of all, Justin. And uh, let's turn it over and hear a little bit about what are you up to right now with uh, Brepic, and then we'll get in the time machine and hear more about some of your history. So Brepic is uh, a public relations firm I founded earlier this year. Essentially, I do a very simple process that works with any client as long as there's a good story to tell, where basically I write stories for a client, and then I pitch those stories to mainstream media. That's all I do. And looking to get those stories, uh, if you will, picked up and, and distributed, and then 
is it targeting one or a short list of key publications? Or how, how are you, like when you're engaging a, or potentially going back a little bit, engaging a client, how are you landing that business or setting yourself up so that you're managing expectations? So um, I was in journalism for the previous 20 plus years prior to uh, founding Brepic. And basically I have contacts all over the country um, and just knowing what a good story is. And I, I noted that uh, when I was a journalist, I'd received 200 to 300 emails a day, mostly press releases, and basically those were deleted immediately. Um, <laughs> so with Brepic, uh, I've created actual content that is something I would have wanted to receive as a journalist. And then because uh, I have so many contacts and then just folks I, I don't know who are looking for good stories... Uh, I'm able to send them individually, and like I said, it's been really successful. There's no target media. I'm running several national media campaigns, not looking specifically at newspapers or TV, radio. It, it doesn't matter. As long as there's a good story to tell, it works. What what types of businesses are you working with? It seems like, to me, I'm making maybe assumptions, but that, uh, that uh, you know, targeting more startup-minded folks or or more, you know, community dollar sensitive folks because this seems to be a pretty efficient way to go about reaching a higher volume of of readers within the target or am i making too many assumptions here do you have to educate people on the front end and so it's been great my biggest client is allstate uh, allstate foundation so, so that's I'm not a small community the, organization no so um, <laughs> i'm running a national media campaign for them basically writing about uh, the types of kids and young adults that I would that I would have written about at DNA Info or the other journalism uh, outlets I used to work for. So uh, it's basically kids who do inspirational things or community leaders, things like that. And it's been really awesome to work with them. And you uh, focus on those that content really of generating those good stories and um, and it, did you say it's from their foundation yep. side? Okay, that's a that's a nice angle to get to be. It's amazing that uh, yep. you know with some of the negativity that, that we see pretty much prevalent everywhere right now. Yep. To be able to tell these positive stories has got to be nice. So, we'll, I mean, I think we we'll come around to that and maybe have it a little bit better informed of how you got to that point and mm-hmm. why that's so great. Because not because, but through your uh, through your upbringing and your your growth process, if you will. Mm-hmm. So. Of course, you went to, we've, we've, uh, we've talked about this a few times, at the finest school in the land, the University <laughs> of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Correct. Uh, were you a journalism student there? Yes, and uh, I'm still the journalism chair for the College of Media Alumni Board, so I stay very, stay active. Stay very involved with that and I'll obviously want to help the next generation of uh, journalism students, whether it, it's uh, for journalism or for public relations or whatever else they, they want to do with their lives. Yeah, you you do teach some classes and or guest lecture and things like that. Correct. And things Correct. Like that too, right? Were you thinking you wanted to be a newspaper writer growing up? Were you, a, you know, were you a sports angle uh, that you were looking to do or more general? What, what was inspiring you as you were going through high school that uh, I believe you're from the North, the North, or, uh, North shore, right? Mm-hmm. And going through high school, going to U of I, going into journalism program, what was inspiring you? What was interesting you? What was, you know, the goal that you thought you'd go do after you graduated? I have always or had always wanted to be in newspapers uh, from reading the Chicago Tribune sports section with my dad when I was, you know, under five years old. Um, Constantly would would read the Chicago Tribune um, cover to cover when I was a little kid. 
it's really all I've ever wanted to do. Uh, my mom wanted me to be a lawyer. I <laughs> never wanted, I took the LSAT. Uh, I probably scored the worst score you could possibly get on that. Uh, and I was that at least maybe subconsciously, if not consciously. Let's just <laughs> some say uh, you, you, you went to U of I as well. I had a very long night slash early morning at Joe's Brewery oh, the nice. day before the night before. That's I good took prep. That test. Yeah, really didn't study for it. Didn't care. Uh, sorry, mom. Yeah, I was going to say, is this the first time she's she's <laughs> probably, this? Uh oh. But yeah, I worked at the DI, Daily Illini, mm-hmm. in college. Uh, I was uh, I went to Glenbrook North High School in Northbrook, and that had a its own TV station. So I would broadcast uh, high school basketball and other uh, games for that uh, for that channel as well. So this is, I mean, it's basically all I've ever really cared about. And talking to other journalists as well, um, because even though I'm in PR now, I'm still. I still think of myself as a journalist, but most journalists are like that too. Like it's the only career that they've ever really wanted to do. We're, we're definitely a different breed. Uh, there's just, and like when you meet a journalist, they're just different than other people. That's just how they are. Well, but I mean, that makes sense of being somebody that's focused in communications and media relations that you understand going back to your point of you're seeing 300, 400 emails a day where 99.9% of them are completely worthless. And so you understanding that angle to then help your clients come and be much more efficient with the communication that's out there. So right. The so but back to I jumped uh, out of the time machine back into present day basically. But back you first out of school you went to work again. You were looking to work at a paper. So mm-hmm. you you that was your first jobs. Where where did you first start uh, upon graduation? Okay, graduated from the U of I in 1999, and um, I had five or six offers to be a sports writer. Um, out of college, so uh, I sent out probably 400, 500 uh, resumes and clips, color clips. It cost a lot of money yeah, to right. do that. Um, <laughs> and so offers were in Idaho, Brownsville, Texas, which is on the Mexico border, Chillicothe, Ohio, which now is like one of the worst opioid crisis, th- you know, yeah. things imaginable, Kokomo, Indiana, um, Michigan City, in Indiana, which is the job I uh, wound up taking, and I had been in discussions to possibly take a job in Kodiak, Alaska, also hmm. Kodiak Island. So, all of those would I think would have been really interesting starts to my career. But I really liked working in Michigan City. I was there for about five years uh, as a sports writer and then as a sports editor, and. It was interesting because in at Illinois you cover like major college football and like you know you're in a it's a big circulation uh, campus paper and there's professional sports information directors and you know everything is like very well done and then you go to Michigan City and it's you know I mean it's a twelve thousand circulation paper you're covering high school football and it's I mean it's just a different world. Um, but it was great because you learn you learn so much. You have to design the paper, you have to edit the stories, you have to write the stories, you write the headlines, you have to manage other people, and for like almost no money, um, yeah, right. and, and <laughs> do all those things yeah, and right. not get paid. Right. So it's like you know, two one or two in the afternoon till three in the morning, and five or six days a week, and you know, claim overtime, and yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. just how it is. Right. So. Right. But it prepared me for all my other jobs for sure. And so you did that for about five years, working, starting as a reporter, 
I worked way up to being editor. And how many other people were there? You know, one, two other people. Two, on at most, there were two, and then a couple, uh, some freelancers. Probably some stringers yep. or freelancers. Yep. Okay. And so, were you itching to you know move on to the next thing? And what was the next thing from from there? Yeah, after after three or four years, I was absolutely looking to to go to a bigger paper, and that happened. Uh, a few miles away, uh, the Post Tribune, which was previously known as the Gary Post Tribune, but it was in Merrillville, Indiana, uh, but when I went there. And uh, I was hired as a sports writer there and uh, was promoted to assistant sports editor. I was there about two years and then heard about a sports editor opening at the main competitor, which was the Times of Northwest Indiana. And just to give you like circulation figures, the Post Tribune was about fifty thousand, and then the Times at the time was about ninety thousand. Mm-hmm. So I went from being the assistant sports editor at the Post Tribune to the sports editor uh, at the Times, which was which was great. And Times how did you going. like hone it through through that? Besides experience, basically the writing and the practice from that, and and now learning how to deal with managing staff and project freelance people and having to manage up with a larger organization. How did you juggle all that stuff? What were, you, were you overwhelmed? Were you actually you know, surprised that it actually came kind of easily? Were you surprised just you didn't realize that there was all that there and, okay, this, I've just got to go figure this out? Like, how, how was that whole process for you? Just jumped right into it, and the Times had had uh, a lot of trouble keeping sports editors there because it's a very difficult job. Um, there's a lot of different personalities on the staff. Um, it was okay pay, but nothing like out of this world. The hours are terrible because it's it's still 2 p.m. to 1 a.m. It's a high-stress environment. Um, it's a really interesting... Northwest Indiana has a lot of interesting communities because it's, it's, very, um, it's very separate there. Um, and so there were a lot of demands from the communities to make sure their teams were covered. Um, because they, I mean, you were at a balance there too, probably of trying to provide some coverage of the Chicago teams, and not necessarily Chicago, but they, there were South suburban teams that that needed coverage, um, and that were part of the Times' coverage area, like Homewood, Flossmoor, oh, okay. TF South, TF North, places like that. So it stretched into, and then, like you said, each community kind of being provincial. <laughs> you'd hear it. That's <laughs> letters and, to the and editor you had a competitor like the, the Post Tribune, yep. which you want didn't want to get beaten by them. So a very difficult job, but also very rewarding, um, just because to, you know we won we won a lot of national sports awards for the section. Um, the Times is known nationally uh, as a really good sports section. So by the time got, I got there, um, there was a really nice foundation in place, um, and the staff, as many personalities as they are, there's extremely hardworking and very loyal to Northwest Indiana and the, the South Suburban Illinois area, and then very loyal to the, the readership and then uh, to just each other. I mean, it was, it, was, it was great to work in that environment. How many uh, or how long did you, stay, did you stay there? Were you always doing sports, or uh, what was the next step? Yeah, so during that time I got married, and um, I wanted to see my wife. So <laughs> there was an assistant managing editor position that opened probably three years into my tenure there, and I uh, was lucky enough to get that. So it was more normal hours. Uh, I was working on the news side of things for the first time. Um, And basically my job was to, there were several jobs, but I was in charge of the photo department, which 
which was really interesting because I didn't have a background with that either. Hmm. Um, I was in charge of uh, planning uh, with all the different departments the centerpiece budget for A1s, meaning like the main story on A1, for daily and for Sunday. So hmm. that helped with my planning skills. For mo- We would plan these things a month in, months in advance. Again, was that a big, uh, a big change, or did the transition feel... You know, doable of adding more people and and then adding switching to f- things like photo that you were a little bit maybe out of your comfort zone or was that and it, so was that a good thing? It was okay. Um, it was it was a new challenge and I really liked it. Um, were you were you also involved at that point when we're looking at what late ni- late two uh, thousands early two thousand ten yep. kind of timeline yep. and the whole change to digital online mm-hmm. paper. I'm, a, I'm especially certainly on the assistant managing editor role. I'm sure that that was a big part of the the job. Yep. What were you learning from that? Because were you seeing like, oh God, papers are going to be gone in yep. two years or five years or something? And what did you think the news gathering was going to go away, or or that it was going to shift somewhere else? Like, yep. what were you thinking at that point? Really good question. So another part of my job for that was giving first reads and then publishing stories to go on the internet right away. So if it was three paragraphs, I'd read it, publish it, and then send it back to the, the zone editor to get a longer story with photos for the for the paper. So it's a little different in Northwest Indiana than it is in Chicago City proper for in, term, in terms of immediate news because for the most part, Chicago won't venture into there unless there's like a triple shooting or a triple homicide, that kind of thing. Um, so it was a little bit slower paced, but still... Um, it was very important to get those the stories out there on the web as soon as possible. So that absolutely led to my thinking saying, print is not the priority. What's the next step? What's the next level of journalism? And, and then 2012, DNA Info came along. Yeah, tell, so tell us about that. So it was that was 12. So yep. you were there for about five years total. Yep. Mm-hmm. I think I read in, in my uh, homework here, were you number three? Employee, is that? Am I recalling that right? You're talking about you're married, maybe even have kids or kids on the way or something like that. And you're trying to see your wife and these kids who may be non-existent, but yet, but <laughs> see them. And now you're going to this whole startup thing. What were you thinking? So 2012 was a very strange and wonderful year. And I'll, I'll start in January of 2012. The the one kind of piece of the puzzle missing in my career was uh, for four glorious weeks, almost a month, I was the editor-in-chief at the Rapid City Journal, South Dakota, mm-hmm. which is a sister paper of the Times. So they um, had removed the editor there, and they put me in place there, um, offered me the job full-time. I 100% would have taken it. I loved DNA Info. Well, I always loved DNA Info, but Rapid City, like, I... I was so happy there. I couldn't. I can't even explain it to you. Most people wouldn't understand that. Yeah. But, but it's just a wonderful place. Great staff. I love the story content there. It was just a, an incredible place. So uh, my wife flew out there. I was. I had this grand plan to tell her I wanted the full time job. Uh-huh. So I had. A, I had my own office at at, in the, at that paper, and it was a Saturday, and she came. Like we're sitting in now a quiet room. She, I, I was about to tell her, I'm like, hey, I want this job. It's a big pay increase. You could, she's a doctor. She would have made a lot of money as a doctor there. Uh, doctors are in very high demand in Western South Dakota. And she hands me a card. And inside the card, there was an apple seed in a little bag. 
I go, I don't understand what this is. What is this? Why, what is this apple seed? And she goes, that is your, that is your child. You, we are going to have a baby. And I, I was like, I was overwhelmed. Like, uh-huh. I was so happy. Um, and also realized she had completely destroyed my plan. <laughs> so, um, uh, it, so I obviously did not take the job. Um, she told me, you know, she, we were living in Chicago. We were living in Lakeview at the time. Mm-hmm. She was um, working near Great America, which is that's an insane commute. Yeah, I was working in Indiana, also an insane commute. She is from the Chicago area. She wanted to stay in the Chicago area. We obviously stayed in the Chicago area. <laughs> so fast forward a couple months to probably actually a month. It was March. And I, I was looking for jobs in Chicago because our current situation, having a baby, you know, as she's a doctor, obviously makes more money than a journal than a journalist. Um, <laughs> much, much, much more. more. Um, so, you know, and um, I supported her decision to stay in Chicago and, you know, or move closer to Northbrook where we live now. And I saw this uh, job. I had no idea what it was. It said some, like something about DNA info. I had no idea what that was. I knew, I mean, I looked it up. I, I, I mean, I would say like most people in the Midwest or anywhere outside New York City had no clue what it was. Have they been up and how long have they been up and running since in 2009? Oh, so they so had already been three and a half yep. years. And or actually, something. I think in I 2012 they were only in Manhattan or were just about to expand to the four other boroughs. I lost it, but I had a pen that's a DNA info Manhattan, which was the original. <laughs> I, I don't know. My kid probably broke. Kids probably broke it. But <laughs> so uh, I applied for the job, uh, and it was a several month process uh, for interviews. Um, and yeah, I was the third person hired as a senior editor there, and they told me on. Uh, I think May 5th, they told me I got the job, and May 12th, I started there. Um, and we didn't have an office in Chicago yet, so they flew. It was me, Rob Elder, who was the managing editor at the time, and then Jen Sabella, who, uh, senior editor. She was the second person hired. Rob was the first, and they flew us out to New York for a week to just you know, learn about. So when, with no offices, you guys just worked at home to, to publish <laughs> oh, this? God. And you should have Jen on the show one of these days, but <laughs> it was a, a bleep show probably for the first couple of months. So we were interviewing people at the Chicago Cultural Center and coffee shops around the city, mm-hmm. even in Oak Park. We did that. Ah, we were working at home. We had, I mean, we were coming up with a story budget, uh, figuring out the technology aspects of the site in terms of like getting it running in Chicago and finding an office. I was meeting with uh, like uh, neighborhood chamber heads and telling them about this because nobody idea what it was. And the really interesting thing was they were all really excited, especially the neighborhoods where they didn't get a lot of positive coverage. They were super excited about it because no one really went into those neighborhoods and, and wrote anything feature wise. It was always right. It was right. It was something a gang or drug or yeah. whatever thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. huh. didn't even think of that angle. And that's and that was the plan of attack was that it was 
covering each of these neighborhoods, right? So I guess that's a loose term because <laughs> I don't think there. I mean, honestly, I don't know if there was a plan. Like it was just. It now, was were you publishing? Up. Was there any content up? You were, this was Good all question. building towards a launch, or was there some you know real basic? So How was we that? were like, we had a story list, and we were. I was editing and reading stories, uh, writing a couple too. We had a, we had like a, a published site, but that and no one could see. So, like, by the time it actually went live, there would be a nice lineup of stories. Okay, okay, that makes sense. But keep in mind, we didn't have a staff until, I can't remember when we officially started hiring people, but it was probably October. It was around late September, early October. So, for did you in those four months plus, you were uh, hiring or, or interviewing people. Yep getting to understand the tech background, how you're going to file these stories, how you're, like you said, kind of come up with the plan of attack to try to cover the the city the right way and go and and cover these neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. And so, and then you would be writing occasionally that you had a a story basically so that, like you said, there was stuff that was going to be up online. And what was, when was it go time to, to, you know, to take that hidden site and make it live and start pushing it? What was that decision? Was uh, (laughs) Joe Ricketts saying we got to start, making some money i think the goal was to originally launch it in september and i mean as with anything it just takes time and november 26th i think was the official day that it launched of 12 of 2012 yep so it's it's we're almost the five-year anniversary did not going to make it to the five-year anniversary did not make it almost made it five years so i want to talk a little bit about that your take on on some of this but I wanted to also understand because you left to do Prepic in when did you start this year? Good question. So I officially incorporated April 16th. Okay. And I waited until I had five clients before I resigned because I, I could not, I have two kids now. Right. Um, I could not, I did not want to resign or could not resign until I had some type of base and I made sure there was no conflict of interest Mm -hmm. in terms of who I was working with. And that said, I kept, I definitely didn't, you know, no one knew that I was doing this. So June 5th or 6th, uh, Robert Feeder did an article, um, on me starting this. I had resigned June 2nd, I think. So three days later that article came out. And did you, I mean, I'm assuming you had the relationship with Bob and, Told him that you were doing this. You didn't I told him go hire somebody else to be your PR person. No, no. To I told Bob. him. I told him the day I resigned. Yeah, I yeah. said I'll give you this as an exclusive. And well, it was nice in exchange. You got that nice picture of you with your logo right there. On the so that picture <laughs> is that I had a freelance photographer, yeah. uh, Colin Boyle, took that. Yeah, didn't he took that in April or May? Oh, really? Oh, so yeah. it was your had it sitting in the can, had it waiting. Ready. Yep, waiting. Correct. So why? But why leave? Were you well, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I mean, I'm, I mean, I could picture burnout. I could picture you saw the end was maybe coming. You maybe had falling out with people there. I, I don't know. So, what, I mean, or were, maybe there, none of those. There were certainly a lot of factors. Um, the most, the biggest overall thing is that I, I thought that I could see my family more, um, benefit financially more from from doing something like this. Um, I have some very close friends who are entrepreneurs, and during this process I had talked to several independent PR folks who were former journalists, and they told me about 
how I could really use my skills productively um, and have a way more flexible life um, and still be have a rewarding career in terms of helping people and writing good content, good stories. And that's that's what led to this. So, yeah, who, who at, in that period of time then, what were you getting as, you know, and how many people were you talking about as kind of mentors or advisors? Because you don't seem like the kind of person that's just, you know, making any kind of rash decisions on that, especially, no. <laughs> with, you know, factoring in your kids and, and all those kinds of things. So how did you... How, you know, how did you process through that? Did you start with saying, I got to go try something different? Or were you, and, and this was the idea, or something in between of, um, I don't know, but it's time and I got to figure it out. I, what, what was the approach to get to an answer? And then what kind of answers were you, help assistance were you getting from, from mentors? What's good stuff that you would pass on to other people? You know, there's so much advice I could give to folks because so many people have helped me and all I want to do is return the favor and help people. Um, you know, the, the journalists who were laid off at DNA info, other journalists who are trying to figure out their lives. Like I constantly, anyone who ever needs my help, please, I, I'm happy to help. Every day of my company, and I'm not saying Monday through Friday, I'm saying every single day is a building block. That is the way I look at it. It is a process to improve the company and to make it one step more productive, make it better. Um, it doesn't mean adding a client. It means getting a successful pitch, maybe, or it means a, a really cool social media post or doing an interview like this. So my advice to people who are going to do this is... You know, they're congratulating me, like, hey, you're working with all these great clients, you're, you're doing really well. I'm like, well, that's great, and I appreciate that, but you have to work really, really hard, really, really hard every single day um, to make this work. It is a 24-7 job, and, like, journalism's kind of that way, too, but it's, it's not like this. This is a whole running your own business and then doing all the financials and keep track of invoices and, um, you know, making your clients happy and, and uh, working with the media in a productive way, not to bother them, but also to let them know, hey, uh, you know, I'm here for my clients. I'm trying to do my job. So it's a, it's a delicate balancing act. And uh, I've figured it out over time. Um, I had some really good advice from entrepreneurs like, I, I don't want to say their names because they might not want it, but, like, really, like, super successful, <laughs> right. like multi-millionaire type people. And they, some of the best advice they told me was find out exactly the number one thing that you're good at and stick with that. Don't spread yourself out too thin. So when Brepic started, I was doing other things in terms of, like, I was diversifying what I thought I could do well at, and I realized in the end that, my best skill set is writing these stories and then pitching them to media. I was basically doing that at DNA Info as well because um, usually because we were covering the city like no one else, I would have an exclusive or a really interesting story, and then when it got published, I would just send it out to other media. I didn't care. So, uh, and many times they would just pick it up and they would, um, many times they would say first reported by DNA Info. Other times they didn't. Honestly, I didn't care. It, I mean, it was nice to get the publicity, but I was actually building relationships with media at, at And the when time. you were sending stuff out to them, what were you, how did you do that? Were you 
you know, uh, uh, kind of t- um, tagging people in Twitter posts no. or you emailing them? No, or? I would email or send a Facebook message or a direct message on Twitter. Yeah, so it was it was it was more one on one. It was one on one. Yeah, okay. And that's how I work now too, for the most part. Right. So, you know, the way I look at it, and I, you know, being somebody on the the inside of being number three in on DNA, and then leaving before, as we all know now that. The, the place got shut down, uh, what was it, about a month ago already, that, you know, did, did you think that would happen and that yes. it would be shut down? Yes. You did? So um, there was no doubt in my mind that eventually it would get shut down if it didn't make money. And if you read any of the reports and if you believe any of the reports, the fact is it did not make any money. So I have a different take on this probably than most journalists because I um, I run my own business and I look at things very black and white. If you are not making money, it's it's not a charity. It is a business, and I'm not surprised it got shut down at all. I am surprised it got shut down so quickly um, in terms of like peeling the bandaid off immediately as opposed to a slow, uh, you know maybe more painful, maybe less painful peel. But um, the fact that it got shut down, I, I think, I, I don't think you should be surprised at all if you're, if you're in the business world or just, you know, it's just common sense. It wasn't making any money. So it is what it is. I, I mean, I'm very thankful that it existed at all. I'm tremendously thankful every single day. Um, it helped me start my career in terms of this. Uh, made so many friends. Uh, I think DNA Info proved to Chicago that, like this type of journalism is desperately needed. Um, if you, you know, the news now is it's great and uh, staffs are stretched thin and all that, but like the like the soul of Chicago neighborhood reporting, it just seems like it's so empty right now. And I, I mean, it, I'm still talking. I'm talking with you today about it. It's been right. almost a month. We've grown up around this, and just surprised with the legacy of news and the news business and being both competitive and pretty high quality for a long time. I was just surprised that we didn't see the um, Tribune or Sun Times or somebody else try to compete with with you guys. Or you know, I don't know. We can't have a conversation with with Joe Ricketts. He's not going to be a guest on the Painless Podcast anytime <laughs> soon. I don't. I don't imagine. Maybe. But, you know, maybe he did try to sell it. And then there's the whole angle of people that are, you know, well, this is because of the unionization issues and things like that. Well, we, if, you know, we can't talk to him, I don't really know. But it's just interesting. I would have thought, to me, and maybe he tried, but that, uh, like, the, the Eisendrath and those guys that are with the Sun-Times now, that group, that, that would have made a lot of sense to try to fold some of that model in. And I know uh, Dan Swartz and, and, and some of those guys of what they were trying to do from the data side and the, mm-hmm. the neighborhood. Um, shoot, and I've had it, notes of it, everything. I remember I was calling it by the right thing, but the, the neighborhood, um, not Pulse, but they started doing those, you know, hyper-local information and data to help retailers be targeting better in their neighbor. Like, I don't know, that stuff all seems valuable. So it's really kind of a shame that doing good work with a lot of good people, no, it wasn't making money right now, but 
maybe it was close to turning the corner. I mean, obviously, uh, Joe Ricketts would have a much better eye on that and a, and a history of being able to judge what's going to be successful financially and not. So I guess who, who is it for me to really say? But it's really too bad. And so to try to move forward, try to be positive about this thing then, Justin. What's, you know, and you've mentioned it already. You've tried to help. I've tried to, you know, push a little bit to media. Mm-hmm help these folks find a job. How are people doing with that? You know, what's the pulse you're getting? Because you're a lot closer to, to these folks. What are they saying and thinking? I can't wait um, until like six months from now because it's going to be really interesting and awesome to see where the former DNA Info journalists end up. So what I've learned from being at DNA Info is it prepares you for almost any type of situation. Um, it's the hardest part for my job now is slowing down. Mm-hmm. Um, DN info, it's two to three stories a day. You know, you write it, it gets published. That's not how it, it is on this side of things. It takes weeks and sometimes months to not only edit the story and get it approved, but then for other media to potentially pick it up, do their own interviews, and then post the story. So patience is definitely something I work on every single day, and it's it's very hard for me to to do that and that's you know working with dna info it's not you know you you can't really be patient um but those type of skills and things that they've learned like most of the, the folks who were laid off they're probably now getting over the shock of it it's been almost a month you know uh it's time to move on and they're gonna realize they have so many skills that people need and want and whether it's in journalism I, I don't know how many folks are going to stay in journalism if it's in PR if it's just doing just anything they're going to be like they're going to be masters of whatever craft they want to to go into and I just hope that um, like someone from the Chicago Reader or Chicago Magazine does like a DNA info one year later what are these people doing now I think that would be a really good um Look at you now, out pitching story ideas. <laughs> but, well, that, but that's, I'm sorry, I'm being a smart ass, but that's true. Is that, I think that would be because it's, it's kind of the same, but um, maybe totally different. I'm thinking of World Series babies from yeah. the Cubs. That was a good story yeah. from this last year. But the same thing, I bet you're right that if you're going to, if we can all take a, a, you know, be out looking out for these folks right. and they are moving forward in a positive way, you are going to see potentially a wave in six months, 12 months of these people that are, as you said, some could be staying in media, some move on to media relations, PR side, and people that they're, they're innovators, entrepreneurs that then yeah. go do something completely different. And they've got this history because of that culture right. yeah. that could really be something. So that's good. And that piece right there, I think on a positive note, how about on a positive note for you, we're going into Thanksgiving week. What are you thankful for? What's what's coming? What's what's coming up? What's twenty eighteen beginning of twenty eighteen look like for Brepic? What what are you hoping to to do? Wow, have me looking ahead past one day. <laughs> I don't usually do that anymore. Um, I'm so thankful uh, for my family, my wife and two children. And somebody asked me this the other day at a, a small business association meeting, which I've never thought I would be attending a small business association meeting, but I am a small business, I guess. Brepic is. And I said I was thankful to the hundreds of people that helped me start this. And that's, I mean, to get the first five clients, I probably contacted two or 3,000 people. And that's what it took that type of, it took meeting with people that it led to nothing. Or it took a meeting where it led to 
another meeting that led to another meeting that led to, okay, we're actually interested in hiring you. I mean, I'm just like beyond like, I'm just beyond thankful because I mean, this is, it's just so hard to start your own business from nothing. I can't even explain. People just don't understand what it's, uh, what it's like to do this kind of thing on a, a daily basis. So it's, it's been extremely rewarding and the ball's really going now. Repic is like, you know, it's really been successful and you you know, when you start something, you don't know if it's going to work. And then to see your clients in the Chicago Tribune or in the New York Times or in CBS New York or in Forbes magazine um, or on any other TV station or WGN radio or the Sun-Times or, you know, Patch or Pioneer Press, all of these type of places, it just feels so good to, to help these folks because they, they really need the help. They're, they weren't getting the word out the way they should have been. I just signed Chicago Academy for the Arts, which is an amazing private arts school right. in the city of Chicago. And um, their head of school, uh, I just got him on WGN radio on Friday, and he's going to be on WIND AM radio uh, tonight, which is Sunday night. And there are TV stations in Milwaukee and Chicago and other papers in, you know, in the Midwest that want to do stories on them already. And I, I've just been with them a couple of weeks, not even that. To have that type of success and to, to they, weren't, they weren't getting coverage before. Like, and they deserve, like these stories really deserve to be told. And so to see that type of thing, it's just really, it just feels really good. I mean, I know that's cliche or whatever, but it's just, I mean, it really, it just feels good to, to help people and that there's, you know, for my life, like I, my kids are happy and provided for and I see them more. I get to go to their karate classes more and see them and stuff. And I mean, they're five and three, so like they're going to be old and not want to talk to me soon, I imagine. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but like, so I'll give you an example. Yeah, I, I run to their preschool which is like two and a half miles, and I do that most most days, and I get to hug them before they go into class. I would have never been able to do that right. before. So That's the beauty of the small business. Right. It's this other stuff that you have to learn how to deal with. And you know, as a final tip, I guess, too, of you know, finding those other things, like you're not only the CEO and the CMO, but right. the CTO <laughs> and the CFO yeah. and... and the custodian and, yep. you know, and the mailman and, 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 and how, how have you, like you said, it can get overwhelming, especially trying to get it up to, to generating not just some income, first of all, but then right. getting it to be up to the level that you, you, you know, you, you want it to be, to be what, you know, fair earnings and stuff like that. What do you, what do you advice you giving people, maybe the, your DNA, DNA info friends might be listening to this or other folks thinking about striking it out on their own. But there is that overwhelming, all those other pieces, like, hey, I'm good at this one thing. And that doesn't include, you know, financial projections or whatever. How, how yeah, have you I'm helped sort of, right? well, right. <laughs> but, the, you know, that was not your interest. That's right. not something you really haven't been asked to do before. How are you managing through that? Or who are you, who do you go to, to help get that? Like, you've talked about some of your entrepreneur friends. Yeah. What would your advice be to folks that is a way to help, you know, take to eat the elephant one one bite at a time, as so they say. I'm in a very for fortunate situation. Um, my wife is a doctor, and she has incredible benefits. Her father is a financial advisor slash CPA, so he helps me through a lot of a lot of those type of issues. And believe me, I don't take either of those things for granted. Every day, I'm very thankful for that. 
I know most people do not have those type of advantages. That being said, um, you need to find a trusted financial advisor um, if you're going to start your own business because, like me, my guess is you don't understand. Like, I get, I get paid by my clients in, like, six different ways. It's direct deposit, it's mail checks, it's other, you know, other, it's, and it's like yeah. all over the place. Yeah. And well, we were talking about that before they started rolling. Is that now you're on the Zell or whatever the heck that is from Chase. And, right. You know, hey, okay, now I got to go figure this I gotta out. I got to figure it out. I've never even heard of that. I guess that's probably today, so. really the approach, right? Okay, well, I got to go figure this uh, out. Instead so, of being overwhelmed, who can help me figure this out or how yeah. do I dig in, read some more about this yeah. and find it, right? Yep. So, my here's my best advice for anyone wanting to start a business. Besides taking it one day at a time and try to, you know, build your business and make every day a, a productive thing, is I read a book um, called Extreme Ownership. It was written by uh, some former Navy SEALs. I can't recommend this book enough. I don't know these people. I, you know, I'm just telling you. And the whole point of the book, this is it, is... Do you know who's responsible for you? It's you. If you don't succeed, it's your fault. It's not someone else's fault. It's very simple. So I take that approach. I don't blame anyone else. If it doesn't succeed, if I fail the client, it's not the client's fault. It's my fault. And that's it. Um, there's, that's all there is to it. So if my business doesn't do well, it's, it's not the client not paying me on time. It's not the, the media declining to do the story. It's my fault. That's it. It's the end of the discussion. I'm very black and white in that way. And so by doing that, um, it makes life a lot easier, first of all. <laughs> I mean, don't blame anybody else. Um, you just do it. You're, you, know, you take care of it, and it gets done that way. And I found taking that attitude has been great in terms of acquiring new clients, in terms of getting successful media pitches. Uh, and just building the company day by day. That, that sums it up pretty well. I'll put the, the uh, title and author's info in the uh, description for all of you that you can just pull that up and find that book real easily. Um, I think there's a lot of people could definitely use <laughs> understanding how much they need to own things themselves yep. these days. So that's, that's a great piece of advice. Anything else that uh, you wanted to touch on today that, I, that we didn't get to dive into or, or we, uh, we cover it all? It's been, it's been great talking to you um, because a lot of these interviews that I've done, it's been a couple minutes and, you know, how do you feel about DNA info or whatever. But what I liked about this is that it really can kind of do a deeper dive and it's a, it's a good way to also describe how it is uh, building a business where it's not a quick fix type of thing. It takes time and constant effort and diligence to, to build something. So hope hope, hope I help people. And, and uh, you know, the most important thing is if you need help or advice or whatever, I mean, I, I don't care if it helps my business or not. Like, I, I'm here to help and talk at any time. What's the best way? Is it is it through your the website brepicllc.com? Yep. Or you can go to my Facebook page, which is uh, facebook.com backslash brepic, B-R-E-P-I-C. Awesome. And I'll put those links in the pod description too. You know, you take what I wanted to talk today is it's kind of neat what, what you've been able to, to build, a little bit of a different angle, myself coming from PR and appreciating that. Definitely, but also that whole uh, approach of yours of being happy to help out other other folks, and it's not just all about you. And then also the work that you're doing now, being about telling good stories. 
that's what painless networking is about. So a great example of painless networking and people looking out for each other. So thanks a ton, Justin. I appreciate it. As you mentioned, uh, making time here on a Sunday in uh, Northbrook to, to sit down with me. But I uh, hope everybody else appreciated it. And best of luck kicking some uh, brepic tail in uh, 2018, all right? I really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, as you can tell, Justin's a smart guy, very thoughtful, very appreciative. And uh, again, a, a wonderful uh, guest to have on appropriate, I think, heading right into the Thanksgiving holiday. Thank you, Justin, for taking the time to do this. And uh, even we had to do some rescheduling. And it's just a, a general thank you to all of you for listening. I can't believe we're 36 episodes in for Justin and the other 35 previous guests. I am just ecstatic with it. So thankful you've all given me the opportunity to share these stories and get connected with you. Uh, certainly a special thanks to my lovely wife, Kelly, and uh, my three kids, Jack, Connor, Emma. Thank you for putting up with, with me in general, as well as uh, the work I I'm extra work doing here on the podcast. And thank you as well for getting your ticket and making your donation to join us on December 6th at Happy Camper. Even if you can't join us, uh, you could buy a ticket and make a donation to Children's Home and Aid. That is definitely uh, allowed and appreciated. So get on over to painless.network, check out the events tab and get that ticket today. We'll see you on Wednesday, December 6th. All right, enough of me yapping. Time for you to move on to your next pod and uh, work off some more of that turkey and stuffing. Everybody, happy Thanksgiving and stay connected, friends.